This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to the Royal Blue Podcast live on YouTube and Facebook. I'm your host, Ian Kroll, and today I'm joined by the Echo's Everton FC correspondent, home and away, Joel Thomas. Joel, it's meant to be your day off today, but you seem to be here. What's going on? <laughs> well, I thought I'd have a, a win to talk about, maybe. <laughs> you know, home wins have been so rare this season. I thought, well, you know what, like, got a good opportunity against Palace. I'll come in and make the most of it afterwards and not paying the price for my own confidence aren't I? and naivety. Oh, well, well, it's good to have you in. <laughs> we can always talk the blues. We're also joined by the Echoes Everton FC reporter, Chris Beasley. Chris, um, how are things? Um, yeah, as Joe's probably already suggested, maybe not quite as as, as good as we thought we might have been uh, today. Yeah, it wasn't a great one, was it? And I'm sure that will be discussed in at great length in these coming minutes. Okay, so to everyone watching live on YouTube and Facebook, please, please, please uh, like, subscribe and share our live feed. Um, any support that you can give us would be fantastic. Also get your comments in, um, in the comments section, questions, opinion, and I'll put them to Joe and to Chris. Um, and I'll see if we can answer them all, um, as many as possible as well. So the agenda, obviously, game last night, Crystal Palace, probably touch upon the points deduction appeal. Um, but Joe, yeah, I mean, we'll start with you first, because you said before the game that you didn't think it was a, a must lose, which you obviously, in a, in a way, you were right. It wasn't a must. It was it wasn't a must win in the sense that if Everton don't win it, we're we're not going down and anything like that. But you said it was a it was a must not lose. So do you think that performance that and that result has kind of maybe justified that result as well and performance? Well, I mean, you know, I stick by not being a must win, uh, not being a must win. Obviously, it's still a long way to go in the season yet, and I think if we just pull back from all the emotion of last night because there was a lot of emotion in the press box as I'm sure there were was in the stands watching some of that I think that look it's 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 a game that they didn't lose it's a game which they fought back and got a point from from a losing position it's a point that takes them outside the relegation zone I asked Sean Dyche after the game whether or not he thought it was a, an opportunity missed he said he didn't for those reasons if I'm honest, I disagree. Uh, I think it was a, an opportunity missed for so many reasons. It was such a big game. I wrote on Twitter before that it reminded me of the Fulham game at home last season when it was in the spring. We weren't quite in the final throws of the season. Remember that Fulham side coming to Goodison Park? Mitrovic was suspended. Silva was in the stands. They had nothing to play for. Evan had everything to play for. And it just felt Evan could turn up on that day then they might not get out of a relegation zone, but they might not end up in a relegation... They might end up out of a relegation fight, sorry. But they might start to start a process, which means that this isn't a, a nervous way all the way to the end of the season. Maybe you get away from it with two or three games to spare. And I kind of almost feel like that was the same with Palace yesterday. It was an opportunity where for once, and it hasn't happened very often this season, hasn't happened very often in the last few years, but for once... This, the stars seem to align for Everton. All of a sudden, Everton have got the players coming back from injury. Dyche has got an almost full strength side to choose from. Crystal Palace are a mess. Four best players injured. Yeah, assistant managers leading from the dugouts. Terrible run of form. They were there to be taken. And just like at Fulham last time, Everton failed to do that. 
still at the relegation zone, you know, not a disaster, not a catastrophe. But again, it was a, an opportunity to lay down a marker to say, you know what, we, we're going to do everything that we can to pull ourselves clear of this trouble. We'll stop waiting on appeal verdicts and things like that. Stop looking at other teams' results. We can handle this ourselves. I don't think they'll get a better opportunity this season to go and get a more important three points than that. They didn't. I think it was a missed opportunity. Chris, a fantastic and simple you know, question put to Sean Dyche by Joe. Yeah. Is it a missed opportunity? I'd probably go as far to say any defeat against a rival team at home under the lights of Goodison Park is always a missed opportunity. Are you surprised that is Dice just trying to play that down, the missed opportunity? What do you think? Yeah. I'm not surprised by what he said, but I totally concur with what Joe said. That's it. that's his job as as the manager. He always bats off stuff like that. It's like if you say to him, you know, is this a must-win game? You know, he flips it around and says, they're all must-win games in the Premier League. Um, so that's just what, that's just the way Dyche operates. It's his job to keep everyone on the level, not to get too high after a win, not to get too low after a defeat or a disappointing result as that was, even though obviously they did avoid the defeat in the end. I just echo everything that Joe said, that everything was uh, for Everton Palace were there for the taking, totally in disarray. Chaos there. I mean, the manager was going to get sacked. Poor old Roy Hodgson gets poorly anyway, pulls out of training on Friday. You're thinking, oh, is this just all a, a ruse because they've got the new man coming in? No, he's genuinely sick. Out he goes. And then on the day of the game, the new guy gets appointed. He's up in the stands. But as Joe says, it's the two assistants who are taking charge. They've got players out. And it was a, Everton aren't going to get a better opportunity to sort of get back to winning ways and that, you know, it's been over two months now since the end of that, you know, impressive run in December. Joe and I were there at Burnley and, you know, you never get carried away from yourselves, but it was almost like, this is too easy. This was too comfortable there at, at Turf Moor and Sean Dyche's return to the Clarets and they just coasted to it. But they have had a Premier League win since and the longer it goes, the tougher it gets. And this... This should have been the big opportunity, as Joe says. Never mind points, deductions, and getting stuff back. Evan should have enough in the locker to do this themselves, and this should have should have been the start of that. We'll come on to individual performances, Chris, but just want a uh, little word on your player ratings that you yeah. got last night. Yeah, I was quite surprised going through them before. There wasn't a five or yeah. anything below a six. Yeah, in the um, in the ratings. So, do you think maybe not? Not as harsh as you should have been. Yeah, that's just somebody actually, to be fair, I gave him the like on, on Twitter. Somebody came to me, so I was actually, yeah. It wasn't even Chris, he just said it because I just uh, wish you were like marking my uh, reports when I was at school, really. So that might have ended up as a professor, something like that. But so, so, you know, I was a bit tongue in cheek. Eh? I enjoyed that. I thought that no individuals were actually really poor. That's why I it was kind of stuck in the middle with my with my marks. I just felt like it was the whole collective. It was the system. That was the problem. Nobody had a stinker. I mean, a lot of people talk about Ashley Young. I thought it was, yeah, it was surprising at, at home to Crystal Palace in the game we were hoping to win that... Um, that he got the nod there ahead of, of Jack Harrison, but although he, you know, he he was disappointing, and then he did make the the crucial um, off the line clearance, so I probably marked him up a mark for that. People say, oh, Dwight McNeil or seven, but he got the he got the assist, so there's you know reasons behind that. I don't think anybody had a stinker as such, even like an Arn obviously had the, the nightmare start with giving the goal away, and then he redeems himself with the equaliser. So. Yeah, I don't think there were, the problem was with individuals. I think the problem last night was was with the system and just the way that Everton were trying to play or or not play, as the case may be. Joe, I went. Excuse me, I went to a 
Goodison Park, major expectations. Thought we'd win. You know, you've already said it yourself there. Palace kind of bad form, free fall. Key players out, no manager. Surely the perfect team to play. And I predicted, um, personal prediction was Everton 3, Crystal Palace 1. Hmm. But we've had a comment off the bat on YouTube from the Blues, a regular a contributor to the question says, can't understand the expectation that we'd swap Palace aside. We've got no quality in the final third, which decides games like this. So is he right? Should we have obviously just expected a tougher, well, a tough game anyway? I think that we we perhaps underplayed some of the, yeah, there's, there's a lot of turbulence at Crystal Palace at the minute because of the managerial situation and, albeit there wasn't a point in which led to a new manager bounce there was obviously a team there that was playing for the first time in front of their new manager and that will obviously lead to a degree of you know an increase in performance um and it was a team that you know it was a, a wounded animal crystal palace and you know the problem that everton have and maybe we should have been predicted because you know I, I write about this in my match report as being a theme of not just Deitch's Everton, but of Everton perhaps for, for, for a couple of years now. They almost struggle more when they're the favourites. And we all knew they were the favourites going to this game. And we were one, you know, I was someone that thought they were heavy favourites, thought they would win. Because um, I thought they would have enough quality to see it through. And, and maybe the alarm bell should have been ringing at that moment because, you know, I can't think of too many games that Everton have gone into as favourites this season. There would have been both the losing games, which <laughs> they lost. Um, and then perhaps they possibly would have been the Wolves and Fulham games at the start of the season, which, again, lost both of them. Then, other than that, you'd probably say the Bournemouth game at home, which was very much it felt at the time. Obviously, in fairness to both managers, they both put, have led their teams to what, on the pitch at least, is comfortable mid-table you know, uh, safety. Um, but at the time, back in October, Everton won at home and, and Bournemouth was, was struggling and it looked like it was almost um, a battle between two very, very under-pressure managers. Um, so I think that's probably the only time Everton won when they were favourites, if they were favourites that day. And again, you go back to this last season and I've got a reference to Fulham game already, kind of go back to back end of Frank Lampard's tenure. I remember, obviously, there was that memorable game against Crystal Palace when they stayed up. They could have got the job done early. I remember going down to Watford, already relegated. I mean, Roy Hodgson was in charge, already relegated, number of players out injured. I think they their home form, I think their form was bad, but their home form in particular was absolutely atrocious. And went down there and watched it on a midweek night and just watched the most turgid nil-nil draw where it was clear that rather than try and take the opportunity to get everything out of the mess, it was almost like Lampard had looked at his side and thought I'd rather protect a point rather than go for all three. But all this being said, you know, I know there's comments about the lack of quality Evan have got going forward. They do have some quality going forward because we've seen that already this season. I think sometimes it's it's worth taking the lenses off and, you know, the form hasn't been great over the last two months. It's better than the results have suggested because if you look at the quality of teams that they've played and the games that they've given to those sides for throughout that period, then, you know, it hasn't been as bad as it's, it sounds like it is when you say two months without a win. But you look at the run before that, you know, and they were scoring goals, all right, not for fun. But chance creation hasn't been a problem for Deitch's Everton mm. until now. Yeah, that's been the big thing. Yeah, we've all kind of rolled our eyes at various points as he's gone. The stats and the facts don't lie. Look at the XG. Well, for most of his tenure, for most of his 12, 13 months in charge, 
Evan have created a lot of chances and a lot of good chances. And what we've been doing is sitting here and saying, I can't believe they've missed this and they've missed that. It's been different strikers, different forwards, different attackers that have been missing them. It's only really recently, the last few weeks, where that chance creation's dried up. And for me, yeah, there was an obvious solution, and that was Abdullah Decore's absence now. We can talk long, and we have talked yeah, long and hard about how the fact that Everton are so reliant on one player to have any kind of attacking threat you know, it speaks volumes about the the way in which players have recruited and different plans have been mixed and matched and swapped between across different managers and directors of football for so long, you know, even more so when you think of the amount of money that has been spent, albeit not in the most recent years. But I was hopeful that you know, Decore's return might be the obvious solution to some of that problems because you know, like Dominic Avalon has gone 19 games without scoring. I don't think some of his performances have actually been that bad. And I think he's had a bit of bad luck. I mean, he's missed some big chances. Of course he has. But he also hasn't had a lot of chances. And in, in that two-month period since the year, Decore played once in that since getting subbed off against Burnley. He just became so isolated. And he's just chasing direct ball after direct ball. He's got two centre-backs on him. Or when he does win the knockdown, there's just no one there up and around them because they haven't got that energy coming from midfield. They're set up there to try not to concede. So they're not launching numbers forward to be around him. I hope that would change last night. It didn't. Obviously, Decore was coming back from injury. You know, there's going to be a few teething issues there. Um, but that was my big disappointment, really. I I believe that this is an Evans side that can create chances against most opposition. My question mark is whether it can convert enough of those chances. I think that remains a question mark, uh, you know, one that's fair to to, to, to throw at this Evans side. You know, I believe the core kind of has to be the solution because if he's not, then that's going to be problematic. And the thing that concerned me yesterday was that they went even more direct than normal. Like They just seemed to almost completely bypass. And I know it's not a side that plays through midfield anyway. And I know it's not a side that has wide players to try to get to the byline. But it felt like after 20 minutes of, you know, low-sizing up Palace, they bought, you know, what we can't break them down. And I think I think about 20, 30 minutes in, Pickford sent a long ball over the top and Dominic Alvin almost latched onto it. It was almost, yeah, like that was yeah. the, it was almost like that was the worst thing that could happen because he didn't get there, but it was like, oh, nearly got there. And then the next, a couple of minutes later, he launched that long ball forward and McNeil brings it down, does really well, but then it gets cleared, half cleared to the edge of the box. And DeCorey has that shot just wide. You think, oh, this might be a route to success. You can understand what it would think of that because he just had two almost opportunities there. But after that, that that was the game plan. And, you know, it's the result is troubling, but I almost kind of find the performance a little bit more troubling. And it's it's every team has bad games and Everton have gone two months without winning the Premier League and they haven't had many bad performances in there. But the frustrating thing is they've saved one of their worst performances for one of the games that was most winnable and a game they probably needed to win. And I think when you look at the final months of the season, we don't know what's going to happen with the off-the-pitch issues. But on the pitch, Everton have got a lot of those games coming up. And on one hand, you can look at that and you can say, well, Sheffield United are going to come to Goodison. Burnley are going to come to Goodison. Brentford are going to come to Goodison. Forest are going to come to Goodison. And you look at that and you think, those are the games that if you're going to get out of trouble they're the ones that you're going to have to win. And what we keep seeing from this Evan side over a couple of years and a couple of different managers is those are the games that almost 
goes to you know, those are games where it almost crumbles in. And that's a worrying sign because if you can't start to take heart and faith from those games, well then you're looking at picking up points when you're not the favourites. And okay, Deitch underdogs, yeah, we've seen them be effective at that, but you're just asking so much from a small group of players as the season goes on and to keep draw, drawing from that well again and again and again to keep providing shock after shock after shock. You know, it's a lot to ask. I mean, just on Joe's point, Chris, obviously yeah. since the turn of the year, you know, it has become a massive concern that we just look devoid of ideas when the emphasis seemingly is on Everton to have control of the ball. Yeah. Funnily enough, you know, just been speaking before we came on here and started recording, I suggested maybe the game coming up right and might suit Everton better because yeah. the emphasis is not going to be on us. But like Joe's just mentioned it, the games that we've got at home, you look at them and they're all winnable, but they're all the same type of game yeah. as last night and we struggled massively. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. They need to sort out the, the home form. I was speaking to Michael Ball early doing his column, so we've got that one to come. It takes a real intense look at this home form and Everton's issues with that. I mean, it, it's it's mad, isn't it, really, that for two years the away form was just such a issue there, only a couple of away wins in both of the previous two seasons, and they've sort of improved on that score. And they're really struggling at Goodison and the way that Michael Ball looks at it. He talks about how they're struggling to to utilise Goodison Parker and, and the way that they should be. Obviously, I won't go into any more detail on that because that's one that we've got coming up. But yeah, I mean, we know Everton are, are direct and, you know, play to your strengths. And again, it's obviously, it'll end up being another goal off a set piece again. But that... That was dire, didn't it? You know, like the the total bypass in the midfield last night and just a total lack of creativity or ideas. As, as Joe says, Abdullah Decori was was back in there, but yeah, I don't I don't know what they were thinking. Their palace settled set back, um, five five in defence, come break us down, and he just didn't ask the questions. It, it, it was, you know, I, I wrote my analysis piece, I mean, compared it to the famous um, Goodison's Greatest Night um, when Bayern Munich complained that this is not football, but this was a very different sort of complaint that this is not football because it was the Evertonians who were complaining this is not football last night up in the main stand where we were, Joe, as you've mentioned, you know, the, the cat calls and the, the complaints and the moans and groans we could hear around us from, from the various supporters. I know there was one of our press colleagues said it was the, the worst game he'd been to since Everton last played Crystal Palace just uh, last month. But no, I think this was this was even worse, especially in the first half. It was so turgid. It was you know crying out for that bit of inspiration. It didn't come, and in the end, they said uh, maybe we should be grateful. You know, it's the point that takes them out of the the relegation zone. It could have been a lot worse, but it's just that feeling that this was the big opportunity. This was the chance, as we say, uh, the game that you look at that this one that Everton should be winning, and the fact that they haven't now just piles on the pressure on on the games they've got coming up. Joe, do you think we're at the stage now, or is it is it even fair comment to say Sean Dyche? may know how to set a team up not to lose a game, but he's struggling to know how to win a game. Well I think he I think he finds it easier to set up a side that, you know, is is the underdog for a match. Yeah, you know, where you're playing it seems are gonna come at them and try and win. I think he's a very good containment manager. I think you have to again take a little bit of a step back and look at the side that he's managing now and the sides that he's managed in the past and 
you know, quite often, the vast majority of, of, of the time, they they have been truly underdog teams. They've been teams with a lack of resources, fighting against much bigger beasts. That was the story of his Burnley career, and that is the story of this current Everton squad. You know, this is a very very small squad that's been patched together. And okay, some of the kind of you know, likes of Kevin Fowler have made some efforts to try and fix some of the holes, but it still really needs someone to grab hold of it and with a little bit of money and a little bit of freedom just to make sense of it so you know he, he has got his work cut out and he doesn't really have the, as I say I don't think he necessarily has the resources to go and be ambitious in a style of play but obviously again there are going to be times especially when you're at home when the onus is to go on is to go out there and get big results and the conditions were perfect for Everton last night and they didn't do it. And probably what's most concerning is at no point that they really look like doing it. That's, that's, that's the concern. Um, he doesn't have a plan B. That's not really his fault because of the lack of options, but <clears throat> you know, it's, it's just, it was quite painful watching that last night. It got so direct, you know, so over the top and it wasn't having, it wasn't having a huge amount of joy. Yeah, all right. Palace's. You meanwhile, your Palace's goal kind of came out of the blue in the sense that it was a screamer, but they provided quite a number of warnings. Really, if yeah. you look at the game for the first hour, they had the better chances. They had the better chances. I mean, Jefferson Lerma inside Everton's, you know, inside Evans' box about what, twenty odd minutes in when he skews it over. I mean, that was a great chance. Tyreek Mitchell played through one on one, albeit at an angle when. Pigford comes out at the beginning of the second half. Mateta's header cleared off the line from Young. Yeah. It were good opportunities. Um, so it's not even as if Everton were playing that way, but Palace never looked like scoring at all. Yeah, it was an almost full strength Everton side, albeit one with you know, perhaps fitness issues because of players coming back from injury against a severely weakened side that they would hope to be that they're hoping to try and claw back towards them. It was a performance in which they struggled to create, but also, you know, allowed chances to be created against them. And, you know, it was, it was the worst on every level in that respect. They're like, that that was almost a problem. It wasn't as if Palace never looked like scoring and they hit Everton with a sucker punch. They, they maybe not deserve to be one nil up, but if a side deserved to be one nil up at that time, it was them. Just a reminder to everyone watching, just get your questions in, your opinions. There's plenty coming in, so I will read them at some point during the show. But, Chris, yeah. one, one of the most frustrating things for me, and this isn't necessarily even like a Sean Dice thing because I feel like it's it's an Everton thing, but it comes in like transitions of play when yeah. we maybe win the ball back um, and there's maybe an opportunity for a counter or you know just to, con- to consolidate possession. We always from my opinion, seemingly just start out from the back. We always, rather than look to go forward, we're always either passing it sideways or when there's no avenues or passages of play to get that ball to, you know, the, the front players, it inevitably goes back. You know, one of the hardest things to do in football is to is to score a goal yeah. by playing out from the back. And inevitably when we can't, you know, obviously do that because we haven't got the players to do it, we just... We just end up hitting it long, which we did countless times yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Like you say, it's, it's just that's uh, kind of alludes to what the point I was making before about that kind of style doesn't suit Goodison. You need to be on the front foot, sort of asking the questions of, of, of the opposition. And if it's too languid, it's too passive. 
you know, you're not going to get the crowd up. They're going to be getting frustrated. It's just not the, the way that Everton play the game. And certainly with this group of players, you know, they're not going to be able to be um, effective in that manner. It's all down to um, decision-making as well from the players as well. I mean, your manager can set you up in a certain way and give you that philosophy of your playing, but you've got to have the right decision-making yourself as as individuals and, and as a collective, really, have that more uh, football intelligence and... It seems to be something that it's sorely lacking at times. I don't, I don't know what it is. It's like we said, we've been through so many managers in such a relatively short space of time, eight in as many years under Machiri, and you just got this obviously awful patchwork quilt of a squad that you're trying to make sense out of. But yeah, that just doesn't seem to be sort of playing to the way that both the the team and and the crowd would would like to see, and that's what that's why it gets so frustrating. I mean, just the comments here, the, the Blues on YouTube has literally just come through. So he says, who do you think, I think this is in reference to what, what we just said there, Crystal, mm. who do you, do you look at in our squad and say he should be driving the players and making things happen? Our attackers have no pace and that's a, why they always end up backwards and sideways. And I, I don't disagree with that point mm. whatsoever, but, you know, we've got, we've got two fairly decent wingers who, you know, inevitably can put decent crosses in. We know there's a question mark over Jack Harrison's final ball, but McNeil can always put a good cross in. And we've got, you know, a striker in Carvert-Lewin who's, you know, has been in the past deadly in the six-yard box. So for me, I just think the problem is that there doesn't seem, over the past certainly two months when we played poor, there doesn't seem to be a massive plan. I think with that, I'm not looking to say we need to break on the counter and you know explosive pace that down the wings, but we need we need some sort of plan, and it's it's I just don't think it's something that we've got at this moment in time. Me, I think you know some of the points that you make there again, I think they point to the fact that this is a, you know, like Chris just said, a patchwork squad that hasn't been coherently put together essentially. Now you know you talk about not looking, you know, not making the most of positive transitions. Well, this is a side that isn't really. This is a side that obviously we know it's not built to play possession football because the vast majority of times it has far less possession than the opponents. But almost Deitch's main aim this side, or at least my interpretation of his tactics, is to not lose the ball in dangerous areas. It's to not take a chance on, you know, all right, obviously it's risk and reward, but it's not taking a risk on losing the ball while you're in transition going forward in the middle of the park. Mm. Obviously, that means you don't even get the benefits when it does work and get to dangerous positions. But if you look at the side that he's inherited, and if you look at one of the big problems of the last few years, like look at Lampard's Everton. How many goals came from Everton, from this Everton side or a very close to Everton side doing exactly that, trying to play through the midfield, losing the ball, being caught on the heels because everyone's pushing forward and they've lost the ball? I think of countless goals on the on the front Lampard, and this is almost part of the strategy. I almost think that. You know, Deitch perhaps doesn't trust his side to be able to do that. So, why carry on going down something where you're more likely to be hurt? Because this isn't a side with a lot of pace. And so once you're then trying to recover, if you've if you've lost the ball in a dangerous area, you're you're really you're really going to struggle. You, know, you talk about wingers and you know Harrison and McNeil. They can put good balls into the box, but what neither of them are going to do is beat a player. Mm-hmm. So there's no good trying to launch the ball into the channel or over the top of a fullback for someone to chase because you know, none of them, neither of them have got lightning pace. So you're just going to lose the ball. None of them beat a player. And this is part of the problem that, but what, but, but what they can do, sorry, is they can hold on to the ball and they can deliver a ball from deep. But then this is part of the problem that Dominic Calvert Lewin has. When you look at where Dominic Calvert Lewin has been his most effective, you, you probably look at that on Ancelotti. Um, 
either, don't you? Yeah. And that's that's players getting to the byline and putting you know, balls across the face of goal for him to then attack. Yeah. Instead, what he's getting is, and this is just one of those areas where they just the side just the doesn't the side just doesn't quite link up. And part of it is, you know, a strategy thing. Maybe it's, you know, it's might be you could argue Deitch holding the players back. Some of it is just trying to deal with the players that he's got playing to some strengths, but then realising that the other players are going to have to, you know, try and adapt to it, and, but they're going to struggle to because, you know, could Dominic Calvert-Lewin, you know, the service of Dominic Calvert-Lewin tends to be balls from deep aimed at his head when he's got nobody around him in the box. He won 17 duels last night. That's huge. He did his job. I thought Dominic Calvert-Lewin played well. You know, he did his job, but there's just no one around them then to get onto the ball because it's crossing from deep or whatever. Like, there's just no one there to pick up the second ball. Decorey is best gives Everton... Decorey is best gives Ever- means that it makes that an effective route to Everton. But it doesn't make an effective route because it's necessarily a clever style of play. It makes it effective because Decorey is a cheat code. Decorey's energy and his fitness and his enthusiasm when he is fit means that he can do everything from playing in that kind of support striker role to getting back and being that extra body in midfield. So he makes up that gap and stops Calvert-Lewin from becoming isolated just because he's just so relentless. And that's how some of Everton's best goals and so many of his goals have come from over recent seasons. But even then, it's not really a coherent strategy. And it's certainly not one, as we've seen for so long, you just can't replicate that without him in the side because there isn't that dynamism in the squad when you take him out of it. So... You know, it's it's really difficult, but that's that disjointed nature. And as I say, some of it's probably you know, probably on Deitch and you know, Fowler's been there a couple of years, and obviously they made some signings and they haven't addressed this. But again, I think that it's very easy and understandable. Look, I'm frustrated by last night. I thought, it, like, I thought it was awful. I, I turned up there and I had high expectations, and maybe I was naive. But I thought they would have enough to see them over the line against that Crystal Palace. And part of that is because I've seen what this Deitch can do at its best, and we have seen that. And as a result of that, it's obviously incredibly frustrating and dispiriting and disappointing because you look at what... you know, if, you, if if that's a template for the rest of the season, then Everton are in trouble, you know, regardless of whether or not they get any points back, because it's, 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 you know, it's, 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 it's troubling. But... It's also important, I think, just sometimes to take a step back. And when we when we look at some of the criticisms that we make at this side, this die side, you look at what he's inherited, and you look at some of the mistakes that some of the mistakes have been made from perhaps trying to play in a way that would make us more satisfied watching on, but which this group of players might not necessarily be capable of doing. And we've seen for two seasons how trying to do that has hurt Everton and left them in relegation battles even without points deductions. So they're just in this horrible transition phase where. Really, it's just about survival. It's surviving through to the point when they either have enough contracts expiring or enough money in the bank or any money in the bank to actually be able to go and redesign the side in a summer transfer window. That might happen this summer. It might. There are some big contracts that are going out this summer that are probably not going to get renewed. You know, there's opportunity this summer. There might be, there is, there is a pathway to potential stability depending on what happens off the pitch. You know, 777 look troubling to me, but... Ever might they still might end up in a situation where if they get the green light, look how uncertain and unstable things are at the minute. It might still be slightly better. Um, you know, there's a chance that that might happen in the summer. You might have that platform which you can build. And if you take the points deduction in fairness, Dice, regardless of the style of play that we're watching, he's done his bit. You know, they should be mid-table. They should be what ten points clear of a relegation battle right now. They should be 
we should be looking at it and going, you know what, to be honest, sitting on 30 mm. points, beat Burnley at home, beat Sheffield United at home, probably safe. Maybe you only need to find one more win and a draw to get to 40 points. What what more can Dice do? And I think that's and I think that's the problem. It's hard. It's hard because it's tedious and it's slow and it's difficult and it, and at times it's uninspiring. But the progress is there on the pitch. But obviously it's off the pitch management, which make it so much just so difficult. And that and that is the problem because when we're looking at the relegation battle, we don't know what's going to happen with the points deduction. We don't know what's going to happen the first one. What's going to happen the second? So it feels like Everton are going to have to stay finish above three clubs and then create a buffer for us to feel really safe. And it's difficult to see how Everton create a buffer, create a safety net, if they don't win those games like Palace. And I think that's where it perhaps falls on Deitch a little bit. They were off. He admitted that they were off in that first half, but he probably has to take some responsibility for that because there is no excuse for not being on it in that game, given how high the stakes were. Just on that then, from what Joe said, there's yeah. obviously, you know, there's a lot of layers to it all and there's yeah. a lot of things. We know the points deduction is masking everything, but, you know, forget, say that we didn't have the points deduction yeah. and we had, you know, what would it be, 30 points? Yeah, 30 points. It would be 30 points, but we leave Goodison Park with 30 points and we still draw with Crystal Palace yeah. and we still have that performance. Yeah. Are you still, are you as fuming as you are now or do you think it's, you know, it's all, are you a little bit calmer about the situation? Yeah, I mean, he wouldn't be as fuming because obviously he wouldn't have been, um, oh, just moved just out of it. Obviously they moved out of the relegation zone, but moving Palace, moving two points of him, you'd have been way above Palace. But it was like they, they, the setup that, that, that they played, as, as Joe said, as you look at the season as a whole on the pitch in terms of what they've achieved is absolutely amazing, really, given the lack of resources and what would come from the two years before. But um, just going back to that point about the crosses into the box and stuff, obviously it's a decent combination down the left with Mikalenko and Dwight McNeil. But a lot of people were questioning his decisions down the right last night in that um, you'd probably imagined that Jack Harrison would have gone back out onto the wing with Decore coming back in, but he's kept with Ashley Young. And uh, like a lot of people were saying both last night, when I've been talking today, <clears throat> that's fine really if you're away from Manchester City, the previous game, you know, wanting to dig in and uh, see off you that solidity in that position. That's great. But at home to Crystal Palace, you'd have been looking for something a bit more expansive. And Ben Godfrey behind him, you know, you've got other right-back options. Natural right-back options would have probably included Young if you'd have moved him back. But Godfrey continues at right-back. And I thought he, he, he was very game again. Godfrey got up a bit of athleticism at times. He was, you know, he was really trying. But there was times when he's swinging in across and, you, you know, he's a centre-half playing as a full-back and he's, and he's overlapping. And, yeah... Wasn't great, and that's no fault of Ben Godfrey. He's doing the job as asked for him, but yeah, you just and that goes on Dyche. You know the personnel, the the approach of of how they're playing. Yeah, it would be totally different, <clears throat> and it could change again now when when we hear the the points verdict when that finally comes and the, the appeal with that. But yeah. I think whatever position you're in, whether you're twelfth on the table, which is the on the for, on the pitch performance, or the reality of the situation, which is ten points worse off, uh, you know that was a dreadful display in terms of uh, the the lack of football from Everton and and the approach. And I think for the first time, people are a bit concerned with how they're playing. <clears throat> people are concerned because of the reality of the, the league position because of the deduction. But with it going two months now and then playing like that, a lot of people are now saying, "Oh, that's really not very good." 
I mean, Joe, there were obviously a number of factors why we didn't win the game last night. You know, people can point at dice, people can point at the system. But I, I kind of disagree with Chris, and I, I will let Chris come on to this to kind of defend his position, but I do think there was a couple of substandard performances last night. And I'm not looking to, to call anyone else. You know, it's, it's already been a long season and everyone's probably played more than, than what he should have. But I was very disappointed in James Garner. I don't think his form over the past couple of weeks has been like, great anyway. But again, this is not even me having a go at James Garner because then you should look at Dice and think should he protect him and take him out should have taken him out of the team there was a couple of times where his passing was wayward he didn't really didn't really offer much I mean he came out after the game didn't he and, and spoke to the um, spoke to the press and was you know ple- kind of pleading with the fans please please don't boo us and just you know support us um, was there a was it just, was it a case of just Dyson is it the way he set up, or was was there a contribution of you know poor performances from individual players as well? The question probably comes down to when you look at the style of play that was adopted, because it was more direct than we've seen for most of the season and most of the time under the Deitch. The question probably comes down to was that on purpose or not? Yeah, you know, was that a tactic that Deitch sent those players out to do, or was it something that they fell into during the course of the game? Uh, and that's probably where the responsibility lies. Because ultimately, look, if 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 you're looking to have a midfielder on the ball making passes that's not the way to play and they spent most of that game bypassing the midfield so yeah. in a in a performance when you adopt the type of tactics that Everton did for most of that game you're not really giving these players much of a chance like you know that's how are they going to drive the team forward when you know, the but spending most of the time with the ball going over their head now, obviously if it's if it was the players are reverted to that then you know it's on them if it was a the manager then it's on you know it's on him I think yeah, for Garner, I mean, Garner's, you know, I think Garner's been good this season. You know, uh, we have to remember he's a young player and, you know, he's still, you know, Dice terminology just creeping into my vocabulary, but in learning his stripes, I feel I'm slowly becoming him. It's just going to be... <laughs> um, yeah, Joe's going to have a goatee beard by the end of the season. Well, I don't... I, I don't <laughs> still got his hair. <laughs> like, um... <laughs> but you know, I yeah, look, we we discussed this last week, and we we wrote a piece at the weekend where each of the you know many blues in this office, or some of the many blues in this office, said who they would leave out the midfield because for the first time since Burnley that last Premier League win, Deitch had the luxury of being able to choose from his four trusted centre midfielders, and four doesn't go into three as we all know, which meant that someone had to drop out. Now, for me, I would have dropped out James Garner and I brought Amadou Anana, and I think Amadou Anana is probably the the closest Evan have got to a game changer in that midfield. I think he can drive a team on. I would have been really interested to see how he would have fared against a Crystal Palace side that didn't have Eberechi Ezian because you know, he is often the player that has to, you know, Eze drives through the middle. So Anana is very much certainly the two games of Salah's part of the season had to try and play a containment role on Eze. Well, if you give the free him the freedom to go up against likes of Waternat, who's obviously a young player, played well, sit, sit deep, then it's a chance that he might be able to dictate the game and get everyone going forward on the on the ground. Obviously, if the ball, if, they, if it was a tactical plan to play the type of football they played last night, well, it doesn't matter who's in midfield if the ball's going over their head and that. But like I, I'd have I'd have brought in Garner, uh, taken Garner off, and for the for none other than the simple reason that you know he's been the ever presence like throughout the last two months, throughout the fixture congestion of December going into early January, throughout the injury problems that. All of those midfielders have had uh, alongside him during the course of the season. So many other players on in, in the midfield, uh, well, the wingers have had as well. He's always been there. He must be knackered 
Like, he just must be knackered. It's not a comment on his ability or anything like that, or even his form. Like, I just don't see a scenario in which he isn't just absolutely exhausted. And I think this is probably something that you can maybe look at with Deitch. And we we talk a lot about his lack of substitutions. So we know he hasn't got much squad depth. When you've got a squad as small as that, sometimes you have to protect players a little bit more. And this is, I think, where... I can understand from game scenarios sometimes where he doesn't make substitutions, but I think sometimes you have to have a broader view and think, well, you know, I just looked at Jack Harrison's stats. Jack Harrison, uh, before last night, started 17 league games in a row, and he'd finished all but three of them. He's playing 90 minutes, 90 minutes, 90 minutes, 90 minutes. You know, he started the season, he didn't have a summer or pre-season, started the season with a hip injury. You know, probably one of the most serious injuries of his career. Again, he's probably, you look at how much work him and McNeil have to do. He's probably absolutely shattered. And you look, you think, well, if it'd been 75 each week, 70, you know, if there'd been better use of Dan Juma, for instance, all right, maybe Evan might not have the points that they, in theory, have amassed this season. But, you know, if you give them those 15 minutes at the end of each game, 15 minutes at the end, maybe they're not as knackered as they are now. Yeah. And that's obviously, there's only so much Dyche can do when he's got such a small squad and had injuries and suspensions and things like that. But you, you just wonder and, and that's it. I so I would have taken Garner out just because I think he needs a break. Like, and, well, that's uh, what I mean about should Dyke have. Like, it sounds like I'm slagging him off, and I'm not. I, I do think he was poor. I thought he gave the ball away a couple of times, but it's the onus is on Dice to protect him, then, isn't it? Yeah, to a certain extent. Another thing that I mean, I don't. I'm interested in your thoughts thoughts on this, but um, you know, like it obviously doesn't help the style of play that we're advocating. We're going to try and get players to play on the ball, which isn't. We're not going to see a lot of that on the Dice, but we can obviously see more. Is um, for the second home game in a row, I didn't think the pitch looked the best. And that's not me having to go and, you know, weather's all over the place and things like that. But, you know, I saw it, you know, we saw both goalkeepers slice quite a number of kicks, you know, when they were clearing because both went for the long ball. And I'm just, I was just wondering, we saw, we've seen a couple of good chances skewed all over the place from the edge of the box in recent home games as well. I'm just wondering if maybe, you know, the surface is just playing a little bit of a role in that. Maybe I can't. I can't say I noticed anything about the pitch and thought it was. Uh, I mean, I'm not. I'm not too close to it, but I'm not too far mm. away either. I don't know. Yeah, I'll have a good look next. But, time but yeah, I mean, but <clears throat> the, the, the performance wasn't very good. I think whatever the, I think it's important to also having try. I'm trying to do my best to kind of put what Deitch is in the players' point of view is over. And I think that's relevant and important to do. But I think one thing I, I do just need to be clear on is that you know whatever the context in which Evan are operating, whether they're twelve sitting on 29 points going into yesterday where they're 10 points um, lighter and they're in a relegation battle. Like, I mean, at no stage do I think, at no stage do I think players should, uh, support should be leaving the ground after a performance like that and, and be, and be happy and be, yeah, you know what, you know, that's, that's acceptable. Like, like a, but obviously it's far easier to make excuses, not make excuses, it's far easier to give people the benefit of the doubt um, and write off one bad days in the office. We all have them, you know, I have lots and um, if you're sat there in mid-table and if it's, you know, again, we're starting to get towards the end and we're thinking Evan probably aren't going to qualify for Europe but they're not going to be in a relegation fight and we're thinking, so, you know, all of a sudden Falwell's, you know, one or two wins away from a three-month head start on the summer that you can maybe start changing things. You know, it's a completely different scenario. Then instead, the performance, I think, was bad, however you look on it last night, but just the failure to take advantage of such a clear opportunity to shift momentum at the bottom end of the table. If they'd have won last night, they should have won last night. And they should be, they should be winning those games. They need to, they need to be winning those games. 
Yeah, if they do that, also they're two points off Palace. Aren't they? I think that's what it'd be what two points off Palace, two points off Forest, three off Brentford. We don't know what the points things are going to bring back, but all of a sudden with the goal difference, two or three points back, and having a fifteenth, and all of a sudden it's Palace and Brentford and Forest looking up and thinking, oh, it's all of a sudden it's Luton thinking we're cut adrift now, third from bottom. That 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 does matter. Well, the problem is. You know, it's obviously not an easy game. It's the wrong thing to say, but it was the most winnable game that yeah. we've got in the next couple of weeks. You know, yeah. let's face it, Brighton, um, West Ham, Man United, we know Liverpool was more than likely going to get changed. So, you know, it was, well, you know, we've, we've touched upon it. We, sh- we should have won. We didn't. Chris, just um, Emma EFC on YouTube has kind of touched on Joe's point a little bit, just talking about Young and, and, and Harrison. You know, yeah. we all know Young's, you know, He's limited at this stage of his career. He's obviously had a fantastic career, you know, um, with with United, Villa, and a, and a couple of other clubs. But you know, obviously, it's easy in hindsight to say was it the right decision? There was a suggestion, as Joe's touched on that, it was about freshness, uh, putting yeah. putting young in. But if I can just touch upon the subs, we know Dice is not as proactive as probably want him to be when he yeah. makes a sub, but. Half time, there was two glaringly obvious substitutions that Dice should have made, and he didn't make them until 60th minute, at least the 60th the minute. 66, wasn't 66 it? 66 minute. So, you know, Harrison was one of them for Young, and then he didn't even make the second sub that I would have made. He took Edrissa Gay off for. Instead of Garner. Yeah. Banana. So, you know, with the subs, should they have been made a little bit earlier? Or, you know, where are the right subs to make? Inevitably, whether you can say the subs contributed to the Palace goal, but they scored, they scored effectively within seconds of those subs being being made. Yeah, well, there's probably because um, Anana coming cold anyway, hadn't he? Um, maybe if he'd have come on earlier, they, it wouldn't have happened. Um, it's kind of two answers to that. I mean, like I said, you know, should they should those personnel have been in from the start and you know got Everton on the front prop from the beginning? The fact that they weren't, and then you're going to make the chance, make the changes at half time. I mean, you know, for all these um, pros and cons, and you know, I remain a wholehearted uh, supporter of Sean Dyche. I think that you know he's done a great job and. I'd like to see him continue at Everton on, on a long-term um, basis. Uh, I think that last night was 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 very poor, and it showed that when you know he he isn't proactive in terms of his um, changing the situations and bringing the, the subs on early in those situations, he only tends to sort of use a lot of his subs when when the game's one way or the other. You know, it, it, it it's very seldom that you find the luxury that Everton are comfortably ahead. It's more, you know, if they're getting beaten, uh, he'll chuck a couple on then. So, yeah, I think it, we were, everyone on the ground could just see that a change needed, whether it was a change in personnel, bringing the substitutes on, or a tweak of the tactics. And as Joe says, was that because Deitch told him to go longer than normal, or was the players just fall into that trap? Something had to change that start that second half, and it didn't. And it carried on the way it was. And then you're always sort of inviting that that sucker punch or whatever, that counter-attack. And as it happened, you know, with, with Jordan Ayew's, obviously got his, his history at Goodison Park and with, with Everton, you know, sticking the knife in again there. So, yeah, um, I think something needed to change. Whether it was personnel or whether it was tactics, you wanted to see something different for that start of the second half and it just didn't happen. And in the end... You know, they, they probably came a bit too late and you could debate whether, like you say, whether it should have been James Garner rather than uh, Garner Gay, who actually made made way for Amadou Adana when he did come on. I mean, the, suppose got no issues in bringing on a striker, but at the time, 
when he brought the subs on and then we went 1-0 down, yeah. it smacked of a little bit of desperation when he brought better one. Because, you know, whatever whatever formation he went with, we know there's issues with Carvert-Lewin and Beto playing together. Yeah. I'm kind of glad he didn't because I didn't want him to just go like for like, but I just thought that, that just looks desperation, that bringing better one. Yeah, um, I think the time when they started with, with the pair of them together against Luton Town, that was... So like the low point because you know that that's their bread and butter. They must have come up against loads of teams who've gone four four two two big men up front. Maybe with Palace having five at the back, that was the opportunity to do it. I mean, Beto did cause a bit of nuisance value. He he occupied them, you know. I think he had one headed chance, really. And Calvert Lewin was really feeding on on scraps all all night. Um, I mean, they've been going long all night. I mean, they may as well chuck the two big men on. And in the end, they had so many big men in the box and that corner kick. I mean, it's it's an honour who comes up and, and wins the header. Um, I just think from what I've seen of Beto and Calvert-Lewin together, it's, it just doesn't seem to to work. As a, Like you said, maybe it's desperation stuff if you're chasing a, a game. It doesn't look like an effective partnership. A lot of people were sort of wondering when... Beto came in at the start of the season. Could they play together? Would that be a decent combination? Given Dyche, of course, predominantly did go four four two for about you know almost a decade in charge at Burnley. But even with a few months together working on a daily basis at Finch Farm, they they don't seem to be a, a combination. They're not working in tandem anyway. They offer different strengths as two different types of target men. But there doesn't seem to be much of a combination or an interplay between the, the pair of them. They're just kind of both doing their own thing without actually working as any kind of real, real sort of genuine partnership. And just staying with you on this one, Chris, because yeah. Joe's already touched upon it, but we've all been desperate for the core to come back for the past yeah. two months. And, yeah. you know, did he fluff his lines yesterday or was it just a case of maybe <laughs> a little bit of match fitness and he'd be back up and yeah. running? Well, poor old Sean Dyche fluffed his lines, talking about the core fluffing his lines. He uh, he told a joke in the post-match press conference and then oh. did that uh, that embarrassing moment where he had to explain that was a joke. Uh, I think he said something on the lines of uh, the core did well to miss that chance because he, he sort of snatched at it then it sort of ballooned up in the air and didn't make a good connection. Uh, actually, obviously, that first ch- half chance he had um, was decent as well. He made a better connection on that one. was obviously off target. Uh, no, he's getting in those areas. I mean, it's tough, isn't it? Because we're all frustrated that they didn't win and it was a big chance missed. But um, again, the fact that he was, he was in those areas, hopefully it's not too long if he can keep himself fit that you know he, he pops up again in those areas and he will finish and I don't think there's an issue long term over Abdullah Decore's finishing he does seem to be able to have a sort of decent sort of ratio when he gets into those positions I mean Joe one positive if you could find a positive from last night was Amadou Anana came on probably I don't know how you want to look at it maybe just give your opinion on it did, did he did he change the game because of how he was how he was playing it because he he did play well, I thought he was getting he was getting on the ball, and he was you know passing it around, and we looked better. He obviously scored the goal, or was it a case of Palace knew when they'd scored that they were able to just sit back and just let Everton have the ball and just kind of try and bide the time and let the let the minutes pass by. Yeah, a bit of both. Obviously, yeah. you know we had the impact, but say it was in the air, as opposed to on the ground, which is where you hope it would be. I mean, I I'm fascinated by his. Um, commitment, his ability, his, his desire to get the ball in tight spaces. You know, with the back end of the game at Man City last week, you were quite close to the pitch there. And it was really notable how when obviously the game, you know, they were two 0 down, the game had gone, of course uh, of course it had. But even with some of the 
best players in the world pressing around him. He was coming right up to the defence and you know facing his own goal, desperate for it in tight spaces. You know, he's a real player, Abadou Anana, like like he is. We haven't, we're perhaps not seeing the best of him, but I think that when people rush to judge him, there has to be an allowance of the fact that maybe it's because Everton can't give him the best support as well. That squad, you know, I said it a few times, but he's a type of player that you can imagine would never would would. You know, struggle to very rarely deliver, say, anything more than eight out of ten for us. You're know, not that many match winning performances and go for big money. And you think, oh, we don't want to see him go, but that's a lot of money. Maybe we'll take that, use it to rebuild. And then you go see him play at you know, a Champions League side and he'll set the world light. You feel, well, where was that player? And I think there's mm. some of it's to do with the personnel that, that that's around him. Um, it was a big chance for Decorey. And obviously, that's at nil nil. And then, in fairness, I'm with you. I think changes could have been made at half time. Like I, I think it was obvious that something needed to be done. I'm probably with most people, and I think that the starting lineup was the wrong starting lineup as well. I thought this was a chance to be a little bit more assertive and play with a little bit more attack and authority, and authority on the ball for relatively low risk, given the personnel that were out for Crystal Palace. For this is a chance you could. I mean, we so we don't know quite how fit Anana was, so that has an impact. But you could maybe start with him and have him drive the team forward, um, and then Harrison on 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 the right as well. He just provides a little bit more of an attacking threat than than Ashley Young. So you know, I I like Anana. I think he's a good player. Um, I think he yeah, Everton were helped to a certain extent by the fact that. Palace obviously going to drop deep. I actually think with a better substitution, I don't think that I don't think that from a traditional perspective, I don't think from a tactical perspective, better and Calvert Lewin work together. I don't think they're going to work together. But where they might work together is in scenarios like the last twenty minutes against Palace, particularly when you're chasing the game. I can understand that far more than I can understand mm. it in either of the Luton games, which is the other two games that we've seen it. And that's for two reasons. One is because once Palace got that goal, you, you could see they were absolutely delighted. They were delighted. You know, Paddy McCarthy came into the press, press room after, and you know, they were delighted with a point. I think they'd come away from there thinking we have got a one, we've got away with one from here. Like they've probably given uh, yeah, their new manager an extra week's worth of grace as a result of that result. Because Everton don't move within a win of them. You know, it isn't a defeat to add to it. Like they've, you know, players will start coming back for them. Like, it was it was a great point. But obviously, they they sat so deep. And Everton had been direct all game anyway, so they weren't magically going to start playing, you know, ticky-tacky football or anything like that. And the difference between Palace and Luton is that Palace, over the course of the season, have been quite vulnerable uh, to set pieces and to balls into the box, which we know is Everton's strength. So having the two big lads up top against that Palace defence actually made a bit of sense. Whereas when they've been doing it against the Luton's defence, which is just bread and butter, that's when it's been a little bit more puzzling to go down that route. So, you know, for, I mean, from a Deitch perspective, changing the 66th minute and when the game was goalless, uh, it wasn't to changes driven by going one nil behind. That's actually early for him. Like <laughs> I think it's later than we would have yeah, liked, but yeah. it's still early for him. And I've been trying to work out what he meant by... He was asked after the game why Harrison started on the bench. He said, um, just for a bit of freshness, for a difference. The obvious way to interpret that is that he thought the young would be fresher. Um, 
obviously, which then leads you into a debate over whether the 38-year-old fullback is going to be fresher than the the 27-year-old winger. But but what I'm wondering, and obviously, you know, it's the lack of clarity, maybe it's a combination of lack of clarity from him and also probably us in the press box post-match with the deadlines, if they're not thinking, wait a minute, should we just clarify that point? But part of me wonders whether he meant that he thought that Harrison might provide a bit of freshness or a difference from the bench. One thing he hasn't had, in fairness to Dyche, for his whole, he isn't going to have for the rest of the season, is options on the bench that can change games. So maybe he thought that that side out there was enough, a, a team that he thinks should have been beat in Palace. And then he thought, for once, I've got a plan B here. I'll be a little bit cleverer. I'll, I'll protect Harrison. And then I've got him as a weapon to come on if things aren't quite going, you know, aren't going to plan. In fairness, it, things had improved when he came on, just like they did with Anana. I'm still, I'm still trying to work out what I think he meant by it, because it could mean either. I think, you know, like I said a minute ago, like Harrison has played a lot of games, some of us didn't have a preseason. He's played 90 minutes in a lot of those games as well. And I also think, look, I, I'm, you know, a lot of people are going on and saying, you know, Harrison should have started over Young, and, and, I, and I agree with them. But there have been also been a lot of people, certainly on the timelines that I see, and we know what the algorithms throw in my direction, have been asking questions of Harrison for the last two or three weeks. Yeah, I think that. I think so, that's the thing, isn't it? you know, it's it's not like like I don't think that it was a glaringly obvious error from Sean Dyche. Like at the end of the day, he's got a very small squad that's getting very deep into a very long season, which has been arduous on the pitch. And yeah, the psychological toll of what's going on off the pitch. You know, James Garner references it. It's a corner after the game. You know, it must have an impact. And you know, it's just a shame that I think that you know, as I say, two months without Premier League win, but there've been a lot of very good performances against very good sides. In that, there have been there was the Wolves game that was a nightmare. Of course, it was. There was the Fulham performance in the Carabao Cup, which which you know was a shame. Uh, just before Christmas as as well. But it's just really, I don't know if it's unfortunate or if it's poor. And if it's poor, I don't know if it's from the management team or I don't know if it's the players. But it's a real shame that they reserved one of their worst performances for probably the game that mattered most. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think you're right. I think just to touch on that from my personal point of view, there has been question marks over Harrison, hasn't it? And rightly so. I just think we, you know, it's not the obviously there you've tried to get into Dice's mind why he's picked Young over Harrison, and you know you can look at it both ways, can't you? But when a manager starts overthinking things, it could cause serious problems. And I do think that regardless of who you're playing, Everton are in a position to be chopping and changing things. It's great if we have the options, but you just play your best team. Yeah. You just play your best team. Anyway, I promise questions, yeah. and here they are, because we've been going for just under an hour, and I just want to get you... There's no update, by the way, but I just want to get your thoughts on yeah. the appeal, so we'll quickly go over that. So, Peter Collins on YouTube has said, seven defensive players at home against the poor to Peter Crystal Palace team is unforgivable. I mean... Not much. Well, uh, un- <laughs> unforgivable, but I think we certainly I think there's many shared his sentiments there. You got a centre back playing out of position at right back, and uh, although Ashley Young was a winger early in his career, someone who's been mostly playing at full back in recent years, pushed up to uh, play on play on the wing. So yeah, there's you know it was a defence minded setup. I think there's no um, sort of two ways about that. 
Joe Two Two Wheel Lucas on YouTube has said, surely it's time to seriously question Sean Dyche's lack of imagination with our attacking strategy. I mean, we've kind of touched upon that already, but yeah, no, I think look, it, like it's a far from ideal scenario for everyone. Like he just doesn't have very many options, and even fewer when you look at the the Danjuma, who is probably the one attacking option that perhaps gives you an opportunity to maybe change at least have a go at something slightly different see if it works with him maybe playing off Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And with him also being probably the only player that Evan have got attacking-wise who can run at people and perhaps beat a winger, beat a fullback and get to the byline, you know, th- that's another option that's shown from him. I, like, I think we have to remember the tools that Sean Dyche has got at his disposal, and they aren't many. And, you know, they are basically Dominic Calvert-Lewin up top or your other big man. You know, in 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 Beto, albeit slightly different profile. Now, you can look at recruitment over the summer, and you can say, "Well, you know, would it not have been helpful to get some variety in there?" You know, they signed Yusuf Chimiti and Beto, so now they have three strikers, and they're three all three strikers that are all about six foot three, six foot four. Who, even if they might not describe themselves as target men probably going to end up being you know put into that category or used that way for, for a lot of it Chimiti might have a bit more about him on the ball I'm, I'm not sure at the moment we haven't seen too much of him you know at that point you, you kind of do wonder whether you you, you wonder whether what well, they had Tom Cannon it's not even a case of going out and buying someone new if they managed to keep hold of Tom Cannon who wasn't proven in the Premier League of course he wasn't um, but scored goals in the championship and felt like a relatively free hit. You know, look at what Goodison happens to Goodison when Dobbin comes on as opposed to another player. Like, you know, when you're bringing on, when you're giving opportunities to players that come through your own academy, like it gives everybody a lift. I think it's a real shame that Tom Cannon didn't get that opportunity this season. And I think that over the course of December and January, we might have seen a little bit more of him if he'd have still been in it. Would he have cut it? Like, I don't know. I like him a lot. I think he's a good player. I think he will score goals in the Premiership event, in the Premier League eventually. But I don't know that he would be the answer for this Evans side. But I'd like to have seen it try. But again, you know, there is a lack of imagination, but there's also just a massive lack of options. And that isn't really Sean Dyche's fault because a lot of that comes to the, just a the lack of resources from the hand that him and Fowell have been dealt. Um, and whilst obviously there's a big commitment to spending, you know, there's a commitment to spending a lot of money on Beto. Probably have to again not lose sight of where we've been for the last two years because for the last two years we've been saying if Dominic Calvert Lewin is injured or out of form, then surely Everton needs someone of a similar mould to make the rest of the system tick. That's what we've been saying for two years because we saw a lot last season when Everton tried to play this way of football, but with Neil Mope up top or with um, Ella Sims up top. And it just did, I mean, and then it completely didn't work. So I think sometimes it's easy to lose sight of, I want to say how far come, maybe it's more a case of lose sight of how much progress Deitch has made with this side. I understand it because obviously it's an unhappy situation watching performances and struggles like that or against Luton at home in in either game and other teams and, and that as well. I also understand the frustration because we have you know, the 10-point deduction and, and you know, the relegation fight as a result. But sometimes it does just help just to take a step back and say, what not not necessarily what would you like Deitch to do differently, but what what could he do differently? Because... How like, how would you set up differently to attack 
Like, like I don't. Like, there are many options there, especially when Dan Juma's injured. I'm not paid dice money to answer that question. So. <laughs> <laughs> Only joking. Um, Chris, so two more yeah. questions and we'll finish yeah. off. Um, so Phil Brady on YouTube has said, the core is a dreadful footballer and oh. if you are hanging on him to take us forward, we are exactly where we should be. It's not dice, it's the players we have. Well, that's, that's, that's interesting given that he's, he's Everton's top scorer. What's he going um was it five at the end of last season, six this year? Um, the, the man who's got all um, prevented Everton from their um, first relegation in 72 years. I think that's a bit of a harsh comment there uh, from, from, from Alice. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Is he, have we got a bit of a renegade red come in and uh, mixing things up? I think that's a bit harsh on Decore. Bad miss last night, but yes, to describe him as a dreadful footballer. I can understand the reliance on any one player, whether good or bad or indifferent. You know, it's a dangerous game to be playing but I think it's it's rather unfair um, Abdullah the Korosh is a dreadful football and given um, the winning ratio that the, you know the, when he's been in the side compared to when he hasn't not just under Dags but under other managers as as, as well I mean we used to have um, um, actually when Tommy Smith was an echo columnist um the various categories people would write in and they'd either be given a, a fur tackle, bounce ball or a over the top. I think I'd have to give an over the top to that one for, for the core. Eh? I think that's a bit unfair. I mean, just to jump in, I think it's probably best not to start accusing our listeners of being secret reds. Like, <laughs> Maybe not secret. Maybe he's just caught coming in causing trouble. I don't know. I, I think I can, I can kind of, un- I can understand in the, in the sense that the core isn't a typical modern <laughs> player, you know, that he, his strengths and the strengths of what we increasingly see, uh, you know, is so many players and managers conform to the same style of what's popular at the minute. He's someone who's very much his strength lies in his energy, in yeah. his infusion, his relentlessness, yeah. his physicality. But it's precisely that that makes him so effective because so many sides for so long, since the last 12 months, have just really, really failed to deal with him. Like I say, he's a bit of a cheat code. Like he's almost one and a half players. And, and that's why Everton miss him so dearly when he's not there. I mean, I don't think anyone's suggesting he's got the finesse or technical ability of a Lionel Messi or even a Anana, to be honest. But, I, you know, I, I don't... His dis- impact over the last year speaks for itself. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, look, let's 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 take a step back. Yeah. But they... Let's take a step back. Like, there haven't been many more effective attacking midfielders, yeah. if that's what you want to class yeah. him as, in the Premier League over the 12 months of Sean Dyche and then Adelaide to Corey. He, him and Dwight McNeil were a lot, and probably him, Dwight McNeil, and Jordan Pickford are largely the reason Evan managed to stay up last season. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, you know, it's a game of opinions, and uh, thank you for your contribution, Phil Brady. <laughs> Chris, last comment before we go on to the bunch of them. Dead quick. Simon C has said on YouTube, he says, we need wingers, whoever they are, to get back to the byline, get crosses in. We lack pace. We lack width in the wide areas. Yeah, certainly like... like um pace and width in uh, wide areas Joe's alluded to that the fact that they they can put a cross in but maybe they're not beating the man and it's just something you know I regularly speak to Michael Ball I've mentioned it already today you know when we're doing his column it's one of his sort of pet hakes as a former fullback himself he said if the winger's not trying to at least beat his man, well, he's making your job easy as a defender, you know, you, you're comfortable with that it's when people do try and take you on so yeah like to see a bit more of that but I mean, do they have it in the locker? That, that that's, that's the million-dollar question. Okay, Joe, we're in injury time, massive injury time. So I just wanted to get, you know, there's not really an update or anything, is there? But, you know, points deduction, it's just, this is prolonging on. It's, it's got rolling on. It's getting very frustrating now, isn't it? Yeah, the longer it goes, I mean, it doesn't help anybody dragging this process out. 
It really doesn't. And, you know, I mean, we thought it might be last week. You know, going to be phone here, keep checking it. We're just gone three o'clock. Every couple of three o'clock on Tuesday, you know, Tuesday afternoon now. So I'm, I'm working on the basis. You know, I just saw a, Don't say it, Joe. I, 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 I just saw a message pop up there. I think it, was, it, might, it might be something to do with this, but it turns out that it's uh, fines for Lincoln and Fleetwood Europe because of our mass brawl in, in the. Wow. Naughty, <laughs> in the naughty. One. So, like, uh, there's nothing to do with. With Everton, um, everybody knows the state of play at the minute, and it's an unhappy one. Uh, we need answers as soon as possible. But the answers are going to provide the clarity that anybody associated with Everton or the bottom league of the, of the Premier League table wants, because there will be the second case that overhangs, so there will always be the potential of action. But I think it becomes more important now because at the minute, Everton are struggling to provide a bit of momentum boost on the pitch. They could really do a one off it. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know what, I've got no insight into what the panel's going to come back with. Um, but we're starting to enter territory where we're starting to fear that Everton might not be able to help themselves this season. So they need all the help they can get. And I think if um, having, having, if, if they, you know, having failed to beat Palace last night, but got a point, if they picked up two more in the middle of the week this week from off the pitch matters, again, just opens up a bit of a gap to loot and just gives a bit more breathing space. If they have success of any form in the appeal, it will probably give us all a little bit more hope for the second case as well, um, or at least a little bit of insight. Like I said last week, my understanding is that when the verdict and the appeal comes out, there will be a written decision that we will get. So we will get some more insight into the case that Everton have been made, the case the Premier League have made against them. The, you know, we should surely, surely get some insight into why the first panel came up with 10 points and what the second panel think of that, which will at least give us an opportunity to kind of think forward to the second case and, you know, what the repercussions of that could be. Um, so it, it it really, really would be helpful to, to get a verdict back as soon as possible. You know, on the flip side, if they get nothing back, if they get nothing back, then say, for instance, a verdict come back on Friday and it says, no, we're sticking with 10 points. Maybe Deitch plays Anana and Harrison goes for a bit more Palace because all of a sudden he's thinking a draw's not good enough. I need, I need to win. And these decisions are going to be made in every set of fixtures. For They have been made. They've been made in the January transfer market. They've been made in every round of fixtures since you know, the appeal got put in and they're going to continue to be made. So, you know, you've got you know Luton playing Liverpool tomorrow. You've got obviously all the other games. They're all sitting there thinking, is a win good? You know, do I need a win? Is a point good enough? Nobody knows the context in which they're operating, and that's really unhappy place to be for everyone. It's, it's not fair, and it, it's not football. Right? It's not fair as a Christian. We just need to know either way. Yeah, not as Joe said, not just Everton, everyone in the division. You know, the Premier League. You know, the most high-profile domestic football competition in the world, and you need to know um, where everyone is, and, and you know, fate being determined on the pitch rather than off it. Just know where everybody stands going into the end of the season. As Joe says, it's hugely important what happens with this verdict in terms of how it shapes the second one, because that goes well. Obviously, you're feeling better about the second one. If it doesn't, well, you're fearing, oh, could it be even more? Um, yeah, did it, it, the decision must have been made by now. I'm not quite sure, like a lot of people, why there's this big hold-up uh, now. Uh, Keith Wyness, who seems to be the by far the most optimistic on, on this score, he was expecting a, a Valentine's Day decision. What did he say? A, a bouquet of roses rather than the fawns that Everton have been getting. Well, that's that's been and gone. There was no card in the post for the Blues there, and that 
respects. Yeah, it, 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 it needs to be decided. But it makes you wonder, that. So you, if we don't get it today and then tomorrow, as Joe's just said, match day for Luton Town there in the thick of it. I don't know when. When is a good opportunity? Are we then talking about Thursday or Friday? Um, I really don't know. But the, the clock is is ticking, and we're, what were you? It's about twelve days, is it, Joe? Since um, since it, it finished, I'm just trying to check. No, yeah. it's no, no. It's um, yeah, that's nearly three weeks. weeks it's two. It's nearly three. Nearly three weeks, isn't it? Yeah. So sorry, nineteen. Yeah, eighteen days, something like that. Yeah. So yeah. The clock, the clock ticking. Everyone involved in this, Everton and everyone and else, needs to just have clarity over this. And obviously, it's hugely influential, and, and how that that could potentially shape it as a second charge. Okay, well, unless anyone else has got mm. anything else to say, I'm going to yeah. finish on a nice positive comment ah. from a YouTube listener or watcher, Peter Collins, Ian, Chris, Joe. Thank you. Great content. Uh, thanks very much and thanks to everyone that's listening we, we really appreciate it yeah absolutely so please show us your support please like subscribe share all of our content on YouTube and Facebook I've been your host Ian Kroll with Joe Thomas with Chris Beasley and this has been the Royal Blue Podcast you've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo